this is in dark places go further so the store that I work I don't really want to give it any kind of free publicity or anything <laughs> but they're kind of a big grocery store chain in the south they have over a hundred stores as far as I know of and I've been to quite a few of those stores and every store I've ever been to I never see anyone parking in the fire lane except for the store where I work kinda weird lazy people around here people love to park in the fire lane here go figure they've got signs up everywhere it says no parking fire lane but people just park there anyway and Fridays are the busy time for us we do a lot of business on Fridays so on Fridays there's usually like two rows of cars parked in the fire lane <laughs> they park halfway out in the road morons so last night I was out on my break and there was a guy complaining because he couldn't park in the fire lane because there were already too many cars parked in the fire lane he was like complaining to his um, mistress or whoever she was why do they even have these no parking fire lane signs here if people are just gonna park there anyway so he had to park kinda wedged in between two of them with the back end of his car sticking out in the road poor guy and now here is the Nicholas Cage meltdown of the week I don't think you've been fair with me you've been pushing me from the beginning harder than you pushed anybody else and you think I'm pushing you because I want you out maybe if I wanted you out of here you'd be gone I'm pushing you because I think you could be one of the best you fly conventional helicopters beautifully, Preston, but the Apache is not a conventional helicopter, and instinct means diddly. Most complicated piece of equipment on that aircraft is your brain. Come on, there's nothing wrong with my brain. It's my eyes that are screwing up. I'm not going to quit on this. It's everything I work for. I need you to help me out. You get one more shot at the bag. If you fail it, you're out. If you pass it, you're in. That's all there is to it. We don't make any exceptions in this outfit, ever. But you're not going to help me, are you? Well, that's real big of you. Little. This week on the show, we're going to be reading some crazy UFO stories. This one time, my buddy Ron saw something crazy in the San Luis Valley in Colorado. He managed to take three pictures which I'll put in the YouTube video and they're also on the Appalachian UFO Research Society page so I'll try to figure out how to link that post or something because this is from 2014 he was driving along out in the desert talking to his girlfriend at the time and then he saw this green and white orb as he was driving along Highway 285 in the San Luis Valley in Colorado. He was telling his girlfriend what he was seeing, like yelling at her, is this crazy? Check it out and junk and she's like, you should probably hang up and take pictures of it. So he managed to get three pictures 
while he was driving. It was far off in the distance, just below mountaintop level at first, and then it started pulsing green, white, and a golden color, and changed its direction. It started coming toward him at an extremely fast rate of speed. It passed by him miles away, and just suddenly disappeared. He kind of lost it behind the mountains, and never did see it again. And that was from February 10th, 2014, at 6 p.m. Mr. Haunted, your In Dark News news correspondent, with an article I found uh, today, and uh, it's a good explanation of, you know, when you uh, see a UFO, or you thought you saw a UFO, or, and you tell people about it, and they say, what do you think it was? And there's just so many questions you have. Well, this guy worded it uh, pretty good, and I'm going to, uh, it's a little lengthy, but uh, he worded it better than I could, and um, maybe the same for some of you. So this is by this guy named Andrew Piper, published July 2nd, 2021, titled, I saw a UFO last summer. I haven't been the same since. I saw a UFO last summer. It was at our off-the-grid cottage on a remote lake two and a half hours north of Kingston, Ontario. I was spending the weekend with a friend I've known since childhood. The two of us paddling in the canoe during the day and drinking wine by the fire at night, telling long-buried stories from our shared pasts. There was, after a bout of laughter at some humiliating high school recollection, a moment of what I can only describe as a strangeness. The suspension of time and air, the density that precedes a wind gust or violent rainfall, followed by a laser-like flash of light to my left that drew my sight to the sky over the lake. An orb, roughly triple the size of Mars or Venus in relative terms of planets or stars you can see at night. Its light varied without sequence or rhythm, shifting on a spectrum between near darkness and brief explosive pulses. It was round, but bulged at its edges from time to time, suggesting the elastic organic. These strobes and stretches and dimmings were accompanied by much smaller orbs that ran out from it from returning before returning to its side, leaving barely visible streaks in the darkness, like what a finishing nail might scratch into a chalkboard. The orb rose higher perpendicular to the horizon, then dropped abruptly, darted hard to the right, back up again at a diagonal, paused, and then disappeared. The night was so quiet, we can hear a dog's bark from a cabin down the lake, over a kilometer away, but at no point did the thing make a sound. The whole experience lasted about 90 seconds. My friend and I rushed down to the dock to see if we could spot the orb again, but the sky was its usual pincushion of stars, the strangeness I felt before the flash replaced by everyday awe. What did the whole business leave me with? At first, not much more than a handy pandemic anecdote. A story to share with others as we waited for a latecomer to join a Zoom call. An odd occurrence, maybe even intriguing, but hardly transformative. We weren't abducted. We saw no thin-limbed greys with insectoid eyes peering at us from the trees. There's little I can attest to other than what it was not. It was not a plane. wasn't a helicopter. wasn't a fighter jet. wasn't a satellite or a drone. 
As time went on, however, I thought about the occurrence itself, sorry, the occurrence itself less, and more about how it had pulled me from one way of seeing it to another. I've always been interested in mysteries, UFOs, yes, but also near-death experiences, ghosts, cryptozoology, reincarnation, the whole uncanny gamut. But there was a previously a distance between my interest in these phenomena and my conviction in the possibility of their reality one way or another. I was a student of the strange. Now I feel what we don't know about the universe is even greater than what we assume. And with that not knowing, the space for some of it being real grows larger. Pretty much everyone I relayed my UFO sighting has to ask me the same thing. What do you think it was? But the answer strikes me as irrelevant. What do I think? I think that we demand answers too much and don't ask questions enough. We spend too much time pretending to be grown-ups and too little preserving the open-mindedness of childhood. The significance of bearing witness to the mysterious isn't the conclusion one draws from it. It was an alien spacecraft! It was an interdimensional portal! It was a secret military experiment! It was a glitch in the Matrix! But by far more interesting field of thought that lies beyond going all in on a single answer. My UFO sighting reminded me of something I was intimately connected to as a child, but had strayed from, perhaps inevitably, over the subsequent decades. Possibility. The sensation of being brought to the edge of an enormous revelation, the erasure of certainties. As we doom scroll and binge watch our way through the present squall of distractions, Twitter skirmishes, funny pet videos, I do enjoy the funny pet videos, vaccine countdowns, the vastness of all we don't know remains, the seriousness of the uncontested realities we face is inarguable. So why waste time puzzling over which lies beyond our grasp? Because there is another kind of reality, cosmic, infinite, sublime, that bears weight on how to comprehensively interpret our existence. To glimpse it requires us to be open, yet the constraints of the moment make that difficult. While we gorge on information, our imaginations wither, we are awash in fixed opinions, but embarrassed by curiosity. Perhaps the message of the orb's light wasn't an otherworldly announcement of we're here, we're here, but a reminder of what ought to be at the front of our considerations, but it is often blurred, if not forgotten entirety. You're here. When we see a UFO, it situates us in relation to something bigger and older than any mere world. Maybe it chooses to be invisible. Or maybe all we have to do is catch a glimpse of it, is turn our heads when the light strikes us. I don't know. I kind of like this article. And like I said, the guy's name is Andrew Piper. And uh, he saw a UFO last summer. Back to In Dark Places. Thank you. I saw a massive white ball of radiant light. It was a disc craft. Semi-powered up, I guess in the sky it looked like it was sitting on a shelf zero movement then after about two minutes it zipped off at a 60 degree angle like a bullet my college girlfriend april was with me thank god she saw the whole thing i only remembered about five years after it happened at first i didn't remember and 
there was other strange things that happened in the room we were staying at the moment. When I remembered, it has changed my life. It was not from here. Me and my girlfriend looked at each other. When I looked into April's eyes at the apex of the sighting, her eyes twisted like blurred wood grain. The outside edges twisted. We each had one beer, no drugs. We were getting ready for dinner. And then we both simultaneously knew what the object was. And then we looked back. And then it flew off like a bullet. It was about the size of a ping pong ball at arm's length. If I guessed, it would have been about 300 yards away. The twisting in her eyes now reminds me of what people say happens when time and space is affected by the craft. April did not go to dinner. She said her stomach hurt. We remember nothing at that time about the craft thing. I went to dinner with one of her friends and didn't even mention it. It was like it didn't happen. Yes, I have considered we may have been abducted, and I have considered regression. And since I have had several sightings and UFO dreams, I will admit it scares me, yet I'm hooked. I think about this subject as soon as I wake up and before I go to bed. It's definitely more than a regular hobby. It's an obsession. Then the next day, I was digging an irrigation ditch for a friend, and black Humvees with big satellite dishes were driving by me, quickly en route to the end of the island. I didn't make the connection. I forgot. I never talked about it. And then I watched the movie, I Know What I Saw, and the experience and memories came raging back. The weirdest thing is I feel emotional telling the story. It makes me want to cry. I guess it's just disturbing and paradigm changing. It was very similar to the USS Nimitz sighting. Like the same thing, but brighter. Here's a story out of the UK. Uh, from September of 2018. I am a graphic designer with a good visual memory. What I saw was visually very vivid, but it doesn't make much sense. However, it may have been the most important thing that ever happened to me. In November 1980, my wife and I were driving north of Dundee when I saw a cerulean blue light pointing at our car from the sky. After that, I have a fragmented memory. We both have a fragmented memory of some bizarre events, but there are a lot of gaps. Basically, we somehow lost about an hour's time. I remember seeing a hairless, tall man-like being in a blue robe. He was looking at us, inviting us aboard, aboard his craft telepathically. His costume struck me as absurd. He was the leader in a blue cape. The cape looked stupid, illogical. He was mentally luring us up to the spacecraft. Somehow, the next thing was, we were on board a ship of some kind, being examined quite painlessly by another being wearing a yellow robe with a ruffled collar. Also, somehow completely absurd, incongruous. Suddenly, the examination process turned nasty. I felt my mind was being forcibly invaded, I had no control. 
My brain felt like there was a tunnel that goes through my mind to theirs. Our minds are connected. It could have been a tube or a tunnel of light. Gray-brown? It was horrible. It pulled everything out of my head. There was a terrible sound, piercing, high-pitched. My thoughts had turned to goo, but I could see them visually. They had my mind, but I still had it too. Then it seemed as though I was okay again, but I felt completely different mentally. I can't explain this. There's more to it than anybody knows. There's more to life, more to the world. There's more to everything than anybody knows. More dimensions, things coexisting. There are many more than three dimensions. Everywhere, it all works together. Everything coexists. I can't explain all of these thoughts, where they came from, and so on. This is a story of my father's. It happened in 1982 while my father was stationed on a military base in New Brunswick. One night, my father's best friend and his girlfriend left just after dark to go see Tron at the movie theater. About an hour later, the friend and his girlfriend were back on the base. The car pulled in and my father immediately noticed that it was damaged pretty badly and covered in several different colors of paint. My father asked him what happened, why they had not gone to the movie. They brushed him off and went to bed. A few days later, my father got his friend to tell him what had happened. They were driving along a stretch of highway and they noticed lights coming from over a hill just ahead where no lights should be because there was nothing around for miles. Just at the base of the hill was a parking lot for a park. A bunch of cars were pulling into the parking lot to investigate the lights. So my father's friend pulled in too. Everyone got out of their cars and was about to start hiking to the top of the hill when a large disc with flashing lights rose above the hill's peak and emitted a loud, strange sound. Several cars got banged up in everyone's panic to get away. Thus, the transfer of paint. My father's friends drove back to the base as fast as possible. A few days later, men in black suits showed up at the base looking for people. They talked to my father's friend and then sent him on his way. My father asked him what the men wanted to see him for. The men told the friend that he better shut up and say nothing about anything that happened if he wanted to keep his military career. Here's another story out of uh, United Kingdom. And this is uh, by a woman who is a college lecturer. And as she didn't want to commit social suicide, she wouldn't give her name. But it was late November last year, and I had just got home from college. It was already dusk, and as my mother prepared to draw the curtains, she drew my attention to something she could see in the darkening sky. I looked out the window and saw this extraordinary craft just hanging there, low in the sky, motionless and completely silent. It was huge. I mean, it must have been about 100 feet long. 
It was cylindrically shaped, but rounded at the ends. There were portholes along its entire length, and I could see figures in silver suits moving about inside. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I wanted to cry out, but couldn't. I mean, I literally could not speak or move. Neither of us could. It was just as if we were paralyzed. We just stood there watching this thing as it glided slowly across the sky, then suddenly it was gone. It did not move off at tremendous speed, I'm certain of that, it just vanished into thin air. And another strange thing, that was what we seemed to be watching it for only a few minutes or so, yet when I looked at my watch afterwards, I found out that a whole hour had gone by. That's another from the UK. The Centaurus UFO The UFO seen by Captain James Howard and the crew and passengers of a Boac Stratocruiser Centaurus on the 29th of June 1954 was not a saucer or a disc. It was, astonishingly, a shape that kept changing its shape. The airliner had taken off from Idlewild, New York, bound for Newfoundland before making the Atlantic crossing to Shannon, then London. The airliner was making its way steadily northeastward when the radio crackled. An order from ground control said to hold. A maneuver adopted when there is a hazard ahead. After half an hour of circling, the skipper advised control that if they couldn't proceed, he would have to return to Idlewild as his fuel was low. After some delay, permission was given to proceed, and Centaurus went on automatic pilot at 19,000 feet, just below a broken layer of cloud, and with a solid mass of cloud beneath at 200 feet. After some 20 minutes, a glint of light suddenly caught Captain Howard's eye. On the port side of the aircraft, he saw a large object of metallic appearance emerged from a gap in the clouds. Moving around this main shape were six much smaller objects, not unlike a screen of small destroyers escorting an enormous aircraft carrier. A bizarre aspect of this remarkable apparition was that it seemed to be changing shape all the time. Captain Howard sketched on his knee pad the different forms he saw. They were a delta wing, a telephone handset and a pair. He has since said that with the continual changes in shape, the object reminded him of a swarm of bees in flight. It was an estimated four miles from Centaurus and it maintained that position. When Captain Howard turned to speak to his first officer, Lee Boyd, he found him already out of his seat standing to watch the display. Captain Howard called up control. We are not alone. We know. What is it? We don't know. But we scrambled a saber from Goose Bay to investigate. Good. Give me his frequency, and I'll vector him in. After a few minutes later, the captain was in touch with the pilot of the saber jet fighter, who, once he was in range, announced he had two images on his radar scope. One for the Centaurus, and the other, presumably, for the UFO. Then the unexpected happened. The six small objects maneuvered into a single file. 
bore down on the main object and appeared to merge into one end of it. Thereafter, the size of the large UFO began to diminish until the Sabre's pilot announced he was overhead, at which point the object finally disappeared from the radar scope, like a TV picture going off. Since about 1953, airline pilots have been required not to disclose to the public information about UFO sightings. In the case of the Centaurus, however, many of the passengers had watched the display with amazement and the incident received wide press coverage. Researchers were fortunate in this, for this sighting falls into the important category of radar visual cases. In this instance, two separate radar sets were involved, at control and in the saber, plus visual observation by experienced pilots, aircrew, and some 30 or more passengers, only one of whom had a camera and he was asleep. Sounds about right. This story comes from uh, our friend Clarence Hale of Arizona. He's uh, 64 years old, and this is his story. I live in Childs, Arizona, on the East Verde River between Flagstaff and Phoenix. I have seen hundreds of UFOs. I first sighted one in 1947. I have seen so many, I don't pay them attention anymore, unless it's something special. I don't even have to go outside to see them anymore. It's just a feeling I get, a really warm and kindly feeling. One example I can give you is this. On June 18, 1967, I was awakened by a strong sound similar to the background music of a science fiction television show. I thought someone was telling me to go downstairs. I did, and I looked outside. There, between my house and the next one, I saw a figure wearing a luminous suit. I went outside and the sound started again. I received a message mentally that said, You have nothing to fear, I will not hurt you, and I know you will not harm me. I went closer to the figure and heard the sound again. Then I received another mental message. Danger, I must leave. I then saw a light or glow in the sky, and when I looked down, the stranger had vanished. I truly believe that aliens from outer space are trying to talk to the people on our planet. The strong feeling of love and compassion we get is their way of contacting us. They are trying to make the universe a better place to live. There's no reason to fear them. When the aliens crashed the sleepover. When I was about 12, my best friends and I used to sleep out on my friend's trampoline in his yard in the summer. We would gather our bed stuff and bounce around until we got tired and then eventually lay down and go to sleep. One evening, four of us were lying on the trampoline talking when we noticed that there's something floating over the woods nearby. You couldn't see it directly, just that it blocked the stars out as it slowly moved. It was just a little higher than the tree tops and completely silent. We were just some dumb kids, so we just watched it. 
Slowly it drifted until it was directly over top of us. And then suddenly there was this light that I cannot describe. It was more than blindingly bright. It was disorientingly, creepily bright like it shone down into you. The next thing I remember, we were all standing inside my friend's house looking out his sliding glass back door at the object still hovering there and then it glided away. We were all spooked but we decided to go back to bed on the trampoline. We are lying there for a while and the next thing we know it comes back again and does the exact same thing. Again we found ourselves inside looking out the back door. Beyond all reason, we go back outside to bed again. The same thing happens again. We finally decided to sleep inside with the lights on. My friends and I lost touch as we grew up, but when I was 18, I heard one of them was in town. I ran into him at a party one night and pulled him to the side. I asked him about that night as it had bothered me for some time. His response has always shaken me to this day. I cannot describe his reaction sufficiently. He looked at the ground and said, I don't want to talk about it. I was kind of shocked by his response, so I didn't know what to say. He got up and walked out, and I stayed sitting there thinking about what had just happened. I got up after a minute to go see if I could find him, but he had left immediately after that was it. Haven't seen him or the others, but his response was enough to let me know something strange definitely went down that night. I don't know if I want to remember. And that's about all the big show for this week. If you've got a true scary story and you'd like to be a guest on the show, send an email to indarkplacespod at hotmail.com. We'll see you again next week. God bless you.